for years, Pastor Mamie used to start off every service, every sermon, by declaring, by making a faith declaration over the Word of God. And today we're going to go through a lot of scripture. And I just feel like it's, it's just a good thing to do. So we're going to make a declaration of faith together. You guys with me? All right, if you have your Bible with you, grab your Bible and raise it up. If you need a Bible, actually, put your Bibles down for a second. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and John will bring one to you. One over here, John. One back there. And also, you know, if your, your device counts, if you're using a phone or whatever, that, I guess that, that counts. But anyway, hold up your Bible. We're going to say this together. This is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the word of God. I boldly confess that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible seed of the ever-living word of God. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So as we read this morning, I want you to be open to what the Word of God says, because it's the Word of God that transforms us. It's the Word of God that transforms us. It's not just thinking different. It's not just what happens between our ears, right? But it's what God does in our heart through His Word. Uh, so we're going to continue our study this morning uh, in First John, and believe it or not, we are nearing the end. We're not going to get to the end today, but we're nearing the end. Uh, last week, Pastor Ben discussed chapter 5, uh, verses 6 through 12, and he covered the very testimony of God concerning the deity of Christ and how his testimony is attested to by the Holy Spirit and how his testimony assures us that he gives us eternal life uh, to us when we receive his testimony. So today we move on to the next, the next few verses, and that's verses 13 through 15. So 1 John 13 through 15, this is going to be our, our main... Uh, Verse, scripture today, First John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. It says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come speak to us today. Speak to us through your words. Lord, let me be a, a vessel that you speak through, that you will touch hearts today, that, that lives will be changed for your glory. Lord, help us to grab hold of what you say to your promises and your truth and help us to hold on to it, Lord God. We give you honor today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we begin there in verse 13, John gives us yet another reason for writing this letter. Why do I say another reason? Because he's already given us several reasons. If you look back at uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he said, and we're writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. Okay, that makes sense, right? Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In chapter 2, verse 26, he says that he's writing these things so you will not be deceived. And then we get to chapter 5, verse 13 here. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. How wonderful to be able to know that we have eternal life. 
I love the fact that he's very clear there. He doesn't say so that you might have eternal life. So that maybe if you do just the right things, you have eternal life. If you say the right words, if you pray the right prayers, if you uh, do the right acrobatics, you'll get to have eternal life. He says, no, 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 I'm writing these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. We don't have to wonder whether we did enough to earn it or whether we deserve it. If we accept the truth of who Jesus is, we can know. We have confidence not in anything that we can do or say, not in any gift, not in any talent, not in any ability that we have, not in our hard work or our effort. Um, but this is available to anyone who simply believes in him. But that's where things get a little bit funny, because what does it mean to believe? Because believe is a whole lot more than just mental assent. Belief means you have to act on it. Because faith without works is dead, right? It doesn't mean that we do works in order to, to prove our faith, but that those works come out of our faith. It's, it's, a, a, it, it, it's the way it happens. If you really believe something, you're going to act accordingly. If you really believe that a, that a train going down the tracks is, would kill you, you're probably not going to stand on the tracks waiting for a train to come just to see, right? I mean, here, here's a, an example that I think is kind of funny. You ever see two kids on the playground? And uh, one of them says, oh, I bet I can kick this ball all the way to the moon. Anybody said, oh, yeah? Well, prove it. Anybody else witnessed that conversation? Anybody else been part of that conversation? Right? Come on, everybody has at some point, right? Well, you try to kick the ball to the moon, obviously it's not going to work, right? That kid doesn't believe he can kick the ball to the moon. He's just, he's just spouting off. He doesn't believe it. If he really believed it, he could probably do it. But instead, he starts making excuses. Well, it's a cloudy day. Those clouds are kind of thick, you know. I, well, I, you know, I'm not sure if it'll get all the way. There might be, it might hit a, hit a bird on the way, and, and you know, that's going to stop it, and it, right? But whenever you really believe something, and you really know that it's true, then you begin to act on it. You begin to act accordingly, right? Um. When you really know that something is a good thing, why wouldn't you go after it? Why wouldn't you do it? I would say that sometimes in our life, even though we know what's true, sometimes we manage to not act on it. And I can't explain why. I think it's human nature sometimes that we allow ourselves to get so busy with life and the things of life that all of a sudden we just start saying, well, I, I know God's word is true, but, and as soon as you put that but in there, you just negate everything else, right? Do you really believe his word is true? Well, this is written so that you may know. So that's why the, the author, why, why John wrote that, so that you can know. And so then he goes on to verse 14. See, we're moving right along here, real quick. So this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We can have confidence. We can have assurance that he hears us. You ever wondered if God really hears you? You ever thought, I don't know, I pray, but I don't know whether he's really listening. Anybody else? I know I've felt that before. According to this verse, though, we have that promise that he does hear us. We can be sure that he hears us. 
a great revelation. God, thank you for listening. God, thank you for hearing me. If nothing else, God, thank you that I can just get stuff off my chest and I can talk to you and you can, you know, give me some peace about it, right? We can know that he hears us. But there's a couple of stipulations that he puts in here. He says that we can know if we ask, right? And if we ask according to his will. Now, we start with the ask part. That's the first stipulation. The verb ask, if you look back in the Greek, it's in the aorist tense, uh, which in the original language, that means that it gives the idea of not just asking once, but continuing to ask over and over and over. If you didn't see the, the answer yet, well, don't stop asking them. And I got to say, this one's tough for me. Because if I don't get an answer in like 15 minutes, who am I kidding? If I don't get an answer in two minutes, I get kind of frustrated, right? I, uh, I shared something with you guys a few months ago uh, about my personal life, whatever. Um, it's something that God laid on my heart regarding healing for my mom. Those of you who know me know that my mom was in an accident about seven years ago. Um, it left her with uh, a lot of memory loss. She doesn't really recognize who, who most of us are. Um, she, she's kind of stuck back like 30 years ago. So sometimes it's kind of a strange thing. I can stand behind her and talk to her, and she recognizes my voice. But when she sees me, she's like, who are you? Because she thinks I'm supposed to be like, I don't know, 12 or 14 years old, not Um, but initially after the accident I prayed fervently for her I believed in faith that God was going to do some great things and restore her to complete health and I got to say both her and my dad have made miraculous recovery compared to what they were I mean the the night that this happened we got the phone call at 2 in the morning and it was like we don't know if they're going to make it through the night kind of thing and multiple surgeries later multiple things whatever but at some point, my mom kind of plateaued physically and, and, and mentally. Um, and quite frankly, I just kind of gave up praying. Because, well, it's just the way it's going to be. I'm just going to deal with it. And yes, we have to deal with it. But just because we have to deal with it doesn't mean that we stop praying. And so when I was in prayer a few, few months ago, God just said to me, I didn't tell you to stop praying, did I? No. So why did I stop? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, the last two or three months, I've been praying for my mom more than I have in, in the last two or three years put together. Haven't seen the results yet that I'm hoping to see. She's still kind of in the same place. But I'm still trusting God. I'm still believing him that he is a healer, right? I'm going to continue praying for her. That's just an example. In your life, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's a, a struggle that you're dealing with. Maybe it's some sort of addiction. Maybe it's some sort of... Uh, a failure that, you, that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe it's a, a confidence issue. I don't know what it may be. Maybe there's somebody in your life that, that needs a healing. Maybe it's something, somebody you're believing for salvation. You've been believing for, for all these years. Well, let me encourage you this morning. Don't stop. Keep asking. Keep asking. Keep asking. I believe that whenever we keep asking, that God will answer. And sometimes I kind of think about it like this. Um, if you've ever had little children, have you ever had something that, like, they want to know something, and so they say, hey, Dad, 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 Dad,
Anyone? Does that happen? Anybody else's house? That's what kids do, right? They're wanting to get your attention. And sometimes I think that that's what God's expecting of us. He expects us to try to get his attention, say, God, I, hey, please, please work on this. God, please do it. God, please, God, 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 Dad, Dad. And if we continue to ask over and over and over, I believe that he will hear us. Then there's another stipulation there because it says we must ask according to his will. What does that mean? What does it mean to ask according to his will? I think for one, it means to pray like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We must submit to whatever he wants rather than just what we want. You know, sometimes, back to the, the, the analogy of a child, sometimes children ask for something that we as parents know is not good for them. And a wise parent's going to say, uh-uh, not this time. You know, that's, that's the sixth cookie already, not another one, no. Right? Hopefully we stopped him before that, but whatever. God's the same way. He's a good father. He's not going to give stuff that he knows is going to harm us. So when we ask him, we got to understand that, God, if this is your will, let this be done. Now, that, that also begs the question, is it his will to heal people? Sure seems like it when I read through, when I th- read through Scripture. But yet at the same time, we got to understand, too, that he doesn't heal everybody, does he? When he was at the pool of Bethesda, there was one man that he went to, and he raised him up, right? How many people were around that pool? A lot. We don't have an exact number, but there's a lot of people there, right? But we only have recording that he healed one of them. Why didn't he heal the rest of them? I mean, he's he's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He could have reached out and touched every one of them. I don't know why. I can't give you an exact answer. And I don't know why he doesn't always respond to the the requests that we make in in our timeline, in the way that we want it done. But that doesn't give us, that doesn't let us off the hook to keep asking because he's still a God that works miracles. He's still a God that heals. He's still the God that sets free. He's still a God that does these things. And if, if our faith is such that we're trusting in him to do it, then guess what? He might work on our behalf. And if he doesn't, he's still God. He's still good. And he has purposes beyond that. Anyway, we'll get, get on a little, a little further. Um, how can we know what his will is though? It says that we have to ask according to his will. So the first thing is to say, you know, well, God, your will be done. Okay, that's fine. But what is his will? Can we even know? Is it possible to know what God's will is? I think we can know at least some. I don't know that we can know the the exact, precise will of God in every situation, but we can pray and ask him to show it to us. But first of all, we should pray and ask to know his will. Let's turn to Colossians, chapter 1, verse 9. Colossians, chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So there's Paul praying for the church of Colossae. And he's saying, hey, we're asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer to pray for your children. God, I pray that my kids will be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's a great prayer to pray for your spouse. It's a great prayer to pray for friends, family, anybody, right? Pray for the church. Lord, we just pray that you'd fill us all with, with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that's another way we can do it is pray for his will, right? We can also understand from Scripture what his general will is. There's several examples here we're going to look at. Uh, we're going to turn now to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this. says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Simply put, his salvation is for everyone. Right? And although this is his will, it's subject to the free will of each individual. It kind of seems a little strange to say, okay, well, God's will is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And yet we know that not everybody comes to repentance and that many do perish, right? Seems a little strange. But why is that? Because he's given us all free will. He's given us the choice. So although this is what he wants to happen, he's given us the choice, and we've got to decide whether we're going to do that or not. It's kind of the same thing, once again, let's, let's use children as an example. If, if you have kids, you have, you have a desire. There's certain things that you want for them, right? But if they decide to do something different, do you stop loving them? Do you stop caring for them? No, they're still your kids. You're still going to love them. Just because they decided to go, you know, you want them to, I don't know, you want them to be an attorney and they want to be a, a baker. Okay, great. Nothing wrong with that. If that's what makes you happy and that's what, what's going to provide for your family as long as you're doing what you need to do, that's, that's fantastic. Same way God has a will that he wants everybody to come to repentance. That's his desire. But we have to make that choice. And if we choose not to, that's on us, right? The next one we're going to look at is in the book of Ephesians. We're actually look, look at a few of them here. The first one's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. It says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. According to the purpose of his will. So once again, he's looking for us to be adopted as sons. This kind of sounds the same as the other verse, doesn't it? That's his desire for salvation. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty similar to that other one. Uh, this is his plan. His predestination is for us to all be, be sons and daughters. He wants us to be part of his family. In Colossians, he even says the same thing, but he specifically talks about be, uh, bringing Gentiles into the family. Well, praise God for that, because I wasn't born a Jew, so if he didn't make that provision... I'd be out of luck, right? But thank God he did. He, he allows us all into his family. He goes on in verse uh, 7 through 10. He says this. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he uh, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. Okay, so he's given us a little bit bigger picture. 
It's not just that we become sons and daughters of God, but that we, not just that we become family, but it says according to the, uh, let's see, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ, his plan was to bring together heaven and earth. So if we look at the whole, the whole scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, everything, you know, put together, we start to realize some, some different things about it. That God had a plan from the very beginning to have a family. It seems like he started with actually a spiritual family. That, that if, you, if you read in the Old Testament, uh, it gives some example of, of the, uh, the beings in heaven, the Elohim that he made, that he created to serve him. But then he, it, it went on because some of them rebelled, right? And, and as a result, he then said, well, I'm going to create man in, in, in my image, and they're basically going to take your place. So he wanted this family. That was his plan from the get-go. So now he's saying, hey, now we're going to take this thing, this, the, the, the human family that I got here on earth, and the heavenly family, and we're going to combine them. We're going to make one. Matter of fact, if you look through the, the end of the book, it talks about there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where all this comes together. And it says that the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven and comes down to earth. Well, how does it come out of heaven, come to earth? What's the connection there? I don't get it. I mean, really, it's, 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 it's really great imagery. I don't quite understand how it happens. But what's he saying? He's saying, I'm making the two into one. I'm bringing heaven to earth. I'm going to connect, combine families. This is my plan. And this is what he's doing from the beginning. Now, it was laid out in, in, in you know, bits and pieces. It was kind of all a mystery until Christ came. Then all of a sudden, this mystery was explained. It makes sense all of a sudden that this is his plan. So, okay, we got an idea. What is his will? To make sons and daughters. What's his will? To bring heaven and earth together, to have one family together, right? Let's go a little bit further. Verses 11 through 14, it says this. In him we have uh, obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of, of it to the praise of his glory. So his will is not only to be saved, that, that, that we be saved and have eternal life, right? We, we got that part. But also uh, that we would be sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is all too often ignored in our lives. But he gives us a down payment, a guarantee of what is yet to come. A down payment on our inheritance. That's pretty cool stuff. When you realize that the Holy Spirit was given to us to say, hey, this is just a little, a little bit, but it represents the fullness of what's coming, coming later. There's a lot more to come, guys. Things get a whole lot better. And, you know, we have these images of what heaven's going to be like and whatever, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to smell nice, and it's going to be the pretty birds singing and the nice color. It's going to be so much better than we can imagine. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment of that, the promise. It's the seal that, that he gives us. So you're sealed with the Holy Spirit at salvation, right? I'd say yes. But also we believe and understand that we can also receive a subsequent filling or baptism in the Holy Spirit as well. It's not, it's not just that you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, but also you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's subsequent fillings of the Holy Spirit. And we believe, God, that, that, that he's doing that. Um, 
go on to the next scripture we're going to go is, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. I told you we are going to go through a lot of scripture today. I hope it's all right. I hope you're taking notes maybe. Um, put this all together. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. See, Pastor Stephen maybe only gave me three verses to, to, speak, upon, to speak on. So I got to expound and read a whole lot, a lot of other verses that, that correspond so that it all makes sense. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 says this. For this is the will of God. Okay, there we are, the will of God again. So we're getting an idea of the will of God. It is your sanctification. That's a big word. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion or lust, just like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay, so that word sanctification, that's kind of a, a, a biblical word, a churchy word. It's not something we use in everyday life. How many people have been talking about sanctification this week? Anybody? Anybody go to the grocery store and say, hey, how's your sanctification coming along? No? Nobody? Go to the bank teller, say, yeah, I'd like, uh, let's see, two fives, a ten, and how's your sanctification? We don't use that word, right? But the, what's that? the idea of sanctification is holiness. It's purification. It's living a righteous life. So he's saying that his will is for us to be saved, for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to be sanctified. Huh. That's a tough one. If we all admit it, we're not perfect, right? We all strive for holiness, but we all fall short. So I guess, I guess that's it. I guess I'm out. That's, that, that's it. No, 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 no. Because Scripture tells us that he gives us grace. He gives us the power to overcome. So it's not by our working hard, trying, trying not to mess up again. It's not about that. It's about trusting in his grace to give us the power to overcome. Right? Um, and if the Holy Spirit is living in me, then I can live a holy life. Maybe I'm not perfect, but I can grow in holiness. I, think I can grow in sanctification. I can become all that he's called, called me to be, right? Matter of fact, two verses earlier than this, Paul said this. He said, he said, finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord, uh, in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. So what does that give you the idea of, of growing in holiness? Hey, you know what to do. You know the right things to do, right? Just do it more and more. Just get, you know, you messed up today, that's all right. Just tomorrow, do it, try, try a little bit, bit more and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to help you and do more and more. Right? So we understand the, full, the, the, the will of God is that he's wanting to bring salvation, he's wanting to bring sanctification, he's wanting to bring baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are all things that we pray, we want to pray according to the will of God. So we keep, uh, keep trusting God to sanctify us more and more. And so as, as we're getting ready to go into John 5, 15, we just want to understand that, that his will is bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth through salvation of unbelievers, who will take him at his word, who become believers, to live as sons and daughters, to walk in holiness, and to bring others into the kingdom. Right? That's kind of the full summary, summary of what his will has to do uh, with. These believers also ask for wisdom and revelation and believe that he will give it as we learn to walk in the Spirit, empowered by his Holy Spirit. 
that a good summary? Does that make sense? All right, so let's move on to verse 15. See, I told you, we're going to get through this real fast. We might even beat, beat some people to brunch, who knows? All right, 1 John 5, verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, if I want to be honest, I got to admit that this verse challenges me. I believe that the Bible is true. I believe it's infallible. It's inerrant. I believe it is God's word to me, to us. I believe it is true. And we made that declaration earlier. And the reason I wanted to make that declaration is because I want you to say, hey, if this is my Bible and I, I am what it says I am and I can do what it says I can do, then we got to take these words and we got to take it to heart, right? And that, that's me included. But I got to say, this is challenging. Because I believe this is true. But if this is true, then why? Why don't I receive, see the requests that I asked for and I believe that are according to God's will, right? Why don't I see them answered? Why don't I see them come to pass? Why doesn't every believer receive miraculous divine healing as a testimony to every unbeliever? If I was God, then I think I could say, yeah, you know, if I healed every, un, every believer then all the unbelievers say, hey, I want that, so I'm going to become a believer, right? Well, yeah, but you know what? The good thing is, thank God, I'm not him. Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There are times when he heals, and and it is a great testimony to other people. There are times he doesn't, and it may also prove as a testimony to people. It challenges us, at least it challenges me, because as I mentioned before, I want to see answers, and I want to see them quick. And some of God's answers take a while to come to fruition. Why doesn't every uh, everyone I witness to just pray to accept Christ for salvation? Why doesn't every, every family member that I have just turn to Christ and, and, and want to know him? Why? Let's look at, you know, I can give you at least a partial answer here. Look at James 4, 1 through 4. James chapter 4, 1 through 4 says this. says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passion. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whatever wishes, I'm sorry, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I admit, but there's times when my requests are primarily, if not completely selfish. Anybody else? Anybody pray selfish prayers before? And, uh, you know, the, there, those requests are, are asked for wrongly. And, and when that's, when we're, when we're being selfish and asking the wrong prayers, we shouldn't expect them to be answered. And when this is the case, what, what is our response? It should be to humble ourselves before the Lord in repentance. But what about those requests that are not? What if it's not a selfish request? 
what if I really want to see God work in, in, in Norm's life? And I pray fervently for Norm, and it doesn't happen. That's not selfish. I'm praying for him. I'm believing for his healing. But it doesn't always happen. So those prayers I don't think are selfish. Those aren't wrong, right? That's just part of them. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes it, it's, it's our selfishness. We got to admit that. We got to turn from that. But what else is there? At one point, Matthew 10, Jesus sent out the 12 with, with these instructions. He said, proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pay, paying, without, uh, give without paying. Do you think if he empowered the disciples to do that, that he would want to empower his followers today to do those things? I think so. I think that's his will, right? That's his plan. If it doesn't come to pass, should our response be upset? To get mad at God? No. His promise isn't that these things are all going to necessarily happen in this, in this world. But I believe that a lot of them do happen in this world, and they can. So we have to prepare our hearts for that and say, okay, God, what's it going to be? What do you want to do? What's your will going to be? What do you want to do in this situation? Let's pray and believe and, and hope that God's going to do something great. Again, in the last chapter of Mark's gospel, he, he says this. He says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They'll pick up serpents with their hands and if if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover let's see do uh, do we require uh, do we do we qualify as believers because these signs will follow those that believe so if we're believers then these signs should be following us right in John's own gospel in chapter 14 verses 12 through 14 he records Jesus's words he says truly truly I say to you Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do. Because I'm going to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's a bold statement. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Do you believe if you ask God anything that he'll work on your behalf? Do you believe that God really is a good father? Do you believe he wants to give good, good gifts to his children? In the Gospel of Luke, there's a, a scripture that, that he says, uh, you know, if, if his son, if, if son asks a father for, uh, for bread, is he going to give him a stone? No. He said if, if he asks for uh, what, any good thing, He's like, you know, you're going to give them a good thing, right? You're, you're, evil, you're evil people, but yet you still do good things for your children. How much more is, a, is, is God going to give the Holy Spirit to those that ask or to give good gifts to those that ask? I believe that we serve a good father. I believe that we serve a God who, who uh, is able and desires to do these things. So... When we, when we read 1 John chapter 5 and we see that he's saying that if you ask these things, it's going to be done. If you ask in my will, if you continue to ask, then I believe he's, 
he's going to do it because he said he would, right? I want to look at two sides of that, though. He said he's going to do it, and I believe it. But if he doesn't do it, what should my response be? To keep asking. To keep asking. To keep asking. Because when he does do it, how glorious is it going to be? Right? And I know there's a lot of people who have been believing things for a long time and haven't seen the results that they expect to see. And yet I believe that God can and will work on your behalf. As we come to the end of the service, I'm going to ask the musician to, to return. Um, you guys will come on up. Because I want to take a few minutes this morning and, and take God at his word. We're going to spend a few minutes worshiping, and then we're going to spend a few minutes just praying according to his will, believing that he truly hears us, believing that we have the requests that we make of him today. You guys with me? All right, let's just take a few minutes and worship God together, and then we'll pray together. It's my 
they continue to play, I just want to take a few minutes to, to let God be God, to do the things that he said he's going to do. He said that we can ask and that he'll, he'll give us what we ask for, right? There's a lot of people in this place that I believe have been asking for things, been asking for salvation for loved ones, been asking for healing in their body, whatever it may be. And I just want to invite you to, to just cry out to God, say, God, here I am. I'm asking again. I'm asking again, God. Will you work on my behalf? If that's you this morning, if there's something that you have that you just want to bring before God, I just invite you to come forward. We don't necessarily have to lay hands on anybody, but I just want to come together as, as a body and pray and believe that God's going to work on our behalf. If that's anybody today, come. you're welcome to come forward. happening, Lord God. You know what what they're believing for. And Lord, I believe that you can do it. I believe that you want to do it. And so we pray to now, now God, Lord, we, we pray for healing. We pray for restoration. We pray for whatever it is, Lord God. You know what, what needs to happen. And we just pray, Lord God, that you would work on, on, on our behalf. Because you're a good God. You're a good God. And we ask you to work on our behalf. We ask you to work in this place today, Lord God. today. We believe for miracles today, Lord God. 